listeners, this is Marsha Epstein, and this is Talk With Me. And this very day in early June, I actually have a guest at the dining room table with me today morning. Instead of just pretending that person is there sharing conversation and a beverage. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> today, moving a little closer to home, I am with a poet who is based in Topeka, Kansas. And actually, even though that's very close to Lawrence, Kansas, where I am and where Talk With Me originates, we had never met in person. And so it's exciting to get to know this person. I had experienced her work and her what she's up to through mutual friends as well as through social media. So this is our first chance to be together, get to know about this person's writing and projects, and to hear some of her work. So welcome, Kay Duganator. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to do this. So I always put people on the spot and say, you tell the audience some things that you'd like them to know, but about you as a person, as a writer, something you're interested in, whatever you'd like to say. Okay. Well, I was born in Topeka, Kansas, and grew up there, went to Seaman High School, which is always super embarrassing to tell people. <laughs> and I went to college at uh, Emporia State University, which has an amazing writing program with Dr. Kevin Ravis and Amy Sage Webb. And Kevin Ravis is the poet laureate of Kansas right now, and this cool jazz musician. He's amazing. He is a, a, such an inspiration. Both him and Amy both are. And after graduating in the winter of 2013, I moved back to Topeka and kind of drifted for a little bit. And then Dr. Kevin Ravis actually came to my rescue and introduced me to a few local poets in the Topeka area, Annette Billings being one of them. Uh, and she invited me to speak easy poetry, which I consider part of my home now. And there's actually a speakeasy tonight that I will be attending. First Wednesdays every month. First Wednesday. Yeah. Um, started doing my poetry there and met some amazing people who introduced me to a lot of other poets in the Lawrence and Kansas City area. And I've just over the last two years been trying to expose myself to as many different medias as I can and experimenting with my own work and actually led me into starting the Noto Story Slam, which just had its second event last Friday, which was amazing. It's very hot, but we had lots of foot traffic. It was great because it was a first Friday event down in Noto. So there's okay. people coming and going. So for people who aren't in Topeka, we don't necessarily know what Noto is. And when you see it written, my first experience of seeing it written was NOTO, which mm -hmm. is the, what it, how it looks, Noto Pride. I'm like, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Topeka is doing some no to pride events. We <laughs> were like, no, that's not what that means. Uh, Topeka has been trying to revitalize its downtown area for a very long time. And part of that is in the North Topeka side of Kansas <laughs> Avenue, which Kansas Avenue does this crazy thing where it kind of splits on the south side of the bridge. It's here. And on the north side, it's here. Huh. And you actually have to get off uh, because the Kansas Avenue Bridge turns into Quincy Street <laughs> for some crazy reason. Okay. And so part of North Topeka is trying to revitalize the Kansas Avenue section. They started calling it 
North Topeka district. So for short, no toe, <laughs> which makes no sense. But if you're from Topeka, if you say no toe, everybody knows it's the artsy uh-huh. neighborhood that's gotten revitalized <laughs> because there's so many amazing opportunities down there with galleries and a lot of the events let poetry. Uh-huh. Not only is there speakeasy, there's also been the wheelbarrow also in the Nodo district, has been doing an open mic night the second Tuesday of every month, which I featured last month, which was my first feature. It was very exciting. And Matt was, Matt Spezia was doing an event at another venue. Is that still going on? Uh, He does the Poetry Slam at the Jayhawk, which is, they have been trying to redo the Jayhawk for quite a long time. And that I would also consider as part of the downtown Kansas or kind of the Kansas Avenue area. It's one block over Uh on 7th Street on Jackson. Mm -hmm. They've been trying to renovate that building for quite a long time. And Mm -hmm. they host a lot of events there. And it's by donation only. And Mm -hmm. all the donations go to renovating the building. Nice. So there's a lot going on in Topeka. Sometimes people don't realize that. Yes. I know we always say in Kansas, there's nothing to do. But there, <laughs> there is stuff to do if you look hard enough, especially at some of those smaller places. So the arts is really seeming to take off in Topeka right now, which is exciting. Yeah. And Speakeasy has, well, I mean, I've, I've met so many people who are part of that poet community. And a lot of them are also involved with it. I think about Huascar Medina, mm-hmm. who who is based in Topeka. And yes, he's a poet. He's also a singer and an actor and you know, it goes on and on all these different things people are doing. And it's really exciting. I think it's great because it seems to me that our speakeasy community is always trying to involve each other and everything and being like, no pressure. You don't have to go if you don't want to, but uh-huh. if you're interested in learning or trying something new, here are these opportunities, which uh-huh. is so great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of you. And so say a little bit about the story slam stuff. So uh, I was actually approached at a poetry event in 2016, and it was Matt Spezia's poetry event, where he was talking to the Kansas Authors Club. And a couple of the people who had attended it owned a building down in Noto and were interested in story slams, which I had not heard of at that point, Uh and said uh, I should look up Moth. Yes, moth, I love the moth and, and get an idea and also led me to the Free State Story Slam, which mm-hmm. I had not attended before. Which and is in the Lawrence Arts Center. Yes, David yeah. Holland put that puts uh-huh. that on. He's very friendly. Uh-huh. And uh got an idea of what it was and thought, I can do this, I can I can host this, we can uh-huh. figure this out. So we partnered with the Topeka Public Library. Uh, which to, is an awesome venue and, and energy. I mean, all kinds of cool things related to writing happen at the Lawrence, I mean, at the Topeka Shawnee County. It is amazing when you get that going, just the, what they can do and all the good things that they do. And the people who approached me were Edie and Don Sneathan, and they provided the venue, which they don't charge us to have our event there, which is cool. amazing. Yeah. And through the library, we have our prizes and we, before, there's four of us who just kind of harebrained it all together. Uh-huh. And so far, it's been really amazing. We've had yes. two great events. First one was in April, and the theme was first. So a story about any first experience that you've ever had. First uh-huh. time you had a job, first time you learned to do something, uh-huh. first time you've ever tried something new, uh-huh. anything like that. We just wanted to leave it open to as many 
that's our goal is to leave it open to as many people as possible uh-huh. because everyone is a storyteller. Uh-huh. They just don't know it because you <laughs> always have those people who they start a conversation with a story and then someone else is like, Oh, I can top that with a better story. Uh-huh. And then pretty soon everybody is sharing something. And that's the sense that we want at the Noto story slams uh-huh. is that it's all just a bunch of friendly people and you can get up and say whatever story you want. You don't have to get too crazy if you don't want to, but it's also considered a safe space that you can if you want. Uh We've had anything from people recounting childhood memories to one person at our first event was brave enough to share part of her recovery Uh story Uh going through AA and just some of her experiences. So Uh just excited that people are feeling the need to share and being able to get up and share. Yeah. The cool thing to me, and this is really what connected me, to poetry about actually about four years ago so it's really recent was so i am the social worker i work and mostly in things related to suicide prevention and Mm -hmm. suicide bereavement and then i uh, also work with trans and gender non-conforming youth and and i sometimes work with adults who just have hard stuff going on so it's not all the most intense stuff but anyway and i was i don't know what i was looking for something some content related to i don't remember exactly what what word I was searching for, but I was looking for TED talk kind of things and just some, some pieces. And I came upon Shane Coison, who's a Canadian spoken word poet. And he has these two pieces. He has tons of poetry. He's amazing. But the two pieces that, that were, that kind of came to the top that were really going viral. um, One was called instructions for a bad day. And the other is um, I think it's the perfect day project. One uh, perfect day project is related to bullying, mm-hmm. um, and the poem is it's this delightful, engaging poem. Um, and and the instructions for a bad day is that acknowledgement that we all have bad days. And so these things that are part of my work, it's like okay, this guy is getting on stage and sharing these things through poetry, and then what happens is people in the audience are like, that's me. He's saying this. I'm not the only one. There's this community. Mm -hmm. There's this relief. There's this sense of belonging. And it's really powerful. I mean, stories and, and it can be paintings. It can be dance. Art is such a powerful way for people to realize they're not the only one. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes a way to learn something that you know, if you sat down and said the prevalence of domestic violence and child abuse is blah, 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 blah. You know, people are tuning you out. But when somebody's at the mic and they're sharing their experience and they're working through it and they're getting to that point of life is really good now. I mean, that's a powerful way to learn about hard stuff that some people need to know is Mm -hmm. real and happens too much. And they may get motivated in a different way to do something to help, you know. So there are all these possibilities. And to me, art, there's like, I guess I put a lot of pressure on art. Because there are so many needs in the current time since the November 2016 elections. But anyway. I I do agree. (laughs) I think that art itself is a way of learning to communicate differently. And I think that one of the biggest problems that we face in our day and age is a lack of communication. Nobody wants to authentically listen. They want to say their piece. 
but they don't want to hear anybody else's and therefore they'll never learn or grow or change their Mm -hmm. opinion. Whereas with art, you have a way of getting underneath that by instead of just talking to them, Mm -hmm. like I'm right and you're wrong and this is why and Mm -hmm. here are the facts. You're giving them a poignant story. That's like, look, you don't have to relate to this, but I want you to hear it Mm -hmm. and it'll touch something inside someone. And Mm -hmm. my whole Goal when I get up and read any pieces that if I can touch one person in the audience, I've done my job as an artist. Uh-huh. Maybe people don't like it. And maybe people think that is weird. That's crazy. Cause I do all sorts of different experimentation with my work, but uh-huh. if I can have one person say, I mean, I, I really felt that. Uh-huh. Then I'm like, I've done my job. Yeah. It's making someone feel a little less alone. Yeah. Cause yeah. Isolation is a real problem that we face, which is crazy considering how social media lets you reach out to anybody, but that's not a physical closeness. It's so you're just feel isolated sometimes. I think art makes you less isolated. I would love to have you share some of your work, whether it's a story or poetry, but to let people experience some of what you do. Absolutely. I have a couple pieces that I can do, and they are some of my more um, experimental pieces that I have been doing. I've been trying to do some merging. I've always thought of myself more as a fiction writer than I have as a poet. There's so many avenues for poetry, for reading and performances that aren't always there for fiction writers. Mm -hmm. And over the last year or so, I've been trying to merge them together. I've been working a lot on flask fiction which was what my chat book, The Beast Within, was about. And now I've been trying to kind of merge those even more with some speculative poetry, which my the way that I describe speculative poetry is it's basically fantasy or science fiction, but as a poem. So instead of just a story with all the explanations, you take that idea and just make it a poem. And I've been trying to do some different things with that. And this first piece, if you are all right with me going ahead and reading, is called Your Body is a Poem. I want to tell you that your body is a poem, that you are stories put together to form a beautiful sentence, that everything around your life is tied together with a common denominator of you, and you are a tapestry interwoven with the most lovely colors that come together to form a picture that is indescribable. Because you are a portrait that is still being painted. You are artistry that keeps on going into the infinite future. I want you to know that you are a poem that doesn't end with a period because it is still being written. See, I want to tell you that life is about commas and semicolons, that metaphors are jealous of the way you move through life because you're doing it real and they are just a comparison. I just wanted to tell you today that no matter what path you go on, the left or right, the one less traveled or the one you think everyone else takes, I want you to know that you are a unique story and I don't want to put you down because your body, it is a poem that some of us poems have rhyme and some of us poems have reason and some of us seem to be couplets in just the right season. You are a poem even when you think you have nothing to say because sometimes silence says more than any words anyone can string together. But when you do, your body is a symphony and it sounds like nothing I have ever heard before or will ever hear again as there is no one like you. I want you to know that you are a living, breathing art installation and no matter what people take away from you, you are so lovely all the way that you are. You are not less. You are not more. You are art. 
And as a poet, I seem to find poetry to be something almost divine. And I'm here to tell you that I think all sorts of art is beautiful. And so are you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Now, how did you refer to that in terms of when you were talking about your merging fiction and speculative, speculative poetry? So I, I still think of that. Um, I am a huge fan of magical realism, mm -hmm. which I, the best thing I think about magical realism is that it does not explain itself. It just is what it is. And it's it's sometimes small. It's sometimes always be found again but it is not always worth finding and some dreams i have taken over other bodies with powers undescribed and in the morning i am back above the sky without my skin and it is tight when i go back in and in my travels i have never known such a place like my own skin for when i go i know i will be back again and though i may not be the same as some can fly and some can only run yet one thing we may compare and find we feel the same is that we question who am i Awesome. Yeah. And in in following some of your social media, somebody referenced you in micro poems. Oh yes, I so, also have been doing a lot with micro yeah. poems. I don't ever like to pigeonhole any artist because I think that you can do whatever you want and however you want to do it, and uh -huh. sometimes kind of do your own thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I do NaNoWriMo every November, which is National Write a Novel Month. And Dennis Etzel likes to challenge people in December to write a poem every day. Uh -huh. And in 2016, I tried to do that. And I got about halfway through and I couldn't because I was trying to do full length poems. And it was too much to do on every day. Sometimes you just don't feel that inspiration. And then, unfortunately for me, once I've missed a couple days, I'm like, eh, why keep going? It's, you know, you've already missed. But last year, I was determined to do it. I was going to write a poem every day after writing my 50,000 words in November. And so I was like, I'm going to do smaller poems. Uh -huh. I'm going to do micro poems, uh -huh. which were as short as I can make them uh -huh. or as long as they needed to be. And uh -huh. that just really took off for me. A lot of people seem to relate because I tried to make it very small things that are every day and mm -hmm. anybody can relate to. Mm -hmm. And I, I love reading those because people who don't always come to poetry events, I'll see them nodding along in the background, like, uh -huh. hey, I relate to that. Uh -huh. And I know what you're talking about. And I think the shortest one that I've ever done was just the word Mondays. But it was on a Monday. So it's M-O-N-D-A-Z-E. Uh -huh. Like Mondays. All Monday is a Mondays. <laughs> and I, yeah, people always laugh at that one. Uh -huh. They're like, I can't believe that's a poem. And I'm like, anything can be a poem. You just have to say it's a poem. <laughs> That's where micro poems came from, <laughs> for me anyway. So, are you working on a chapbook at this point? I consciously am. planning a certain. Okay. Yes, I am. Um, when the Beast Within came out, it was all flash fiction stories that focused a lot on the darker side, I guess, of human curiosity. I would almost say, um, and it. It did okay. It was my first chat book I've ever put out. So it was really just trying to figure out what people respond to and what people don't. Mm -hmm. And it did all right. But I had a lot of people say, man, I really wish you would do a micro poem chat book. So uh -huh. I said, okay, I will. And I've been since April writing a micro poem every single day. And I'm to the point now where I'm like, 
okay, I got to figure out how to wrangle them all together uh-huh. in a cohesive format. Uh-huh. And then this fall, I'm going to release a chat book of micro poetry. Nice. Very nice. Exciting. I am very excited. I feel like I've accomplished quite a lot this year. Uh-huh. And mostly it's just meeting amazing people and being open to different opportunities. Uh-huh. And course i can't lie that is an inspiration to me because that man does not stop working Uh so he just makes me feel like i could go do anything if i just put my mind to it that's wonderful so you've been writing a lot of different genres from what you said i mean you Mm -hmm. mentioned fiction you mentioned the the novel um each each year that that nano contest and so all these different things so so tell me let's if we go back in time you know, before you went to Emporia State and studied, when did you start writing and, and what was the the thing that got you to start? Oh, man. Um, it's going to be probably a cliche answer, but I, I don't really remember when I started. I just uh-huh. started. I, I think I remember first doing like short stories in elementary school and thought, oh, my gosh, I'm terrible at these. Oh. And then in... I don't know, maybe junior high, our English teacher started encouraging us to uh, specifically contest specifically for, you know, kids of that age, submitting some poetry. And it got published in a couple of those anthologies, which if you even asked me what they were, I I couldn't tell you because that was so long ago. Mm -hmm. And it kind of got me thinking, man, I would really like to do this. And then I just started writing like crazy and it was all really terrible let me just say that looking (laughs) back on it I'm like I don't know what I was thinking that was just not any good but it it got me interested enough that I I wanted to go to school for it so I went to Emporia State for an uh, English BA and creative writing minor Uh and I just tried to take every single writing class that I possibly could I even took the screenwriting playwriting class which Uh That is a genre I will never go into because I'm absolutely (laughs) terrible at it. I could not write a screenplay to save my life, (laughs) but it was that taught me what I didn't want to do. So, I mean, there's all sorts of other other mediums. And then once I moved back to Topeka, I was single and my parents moved. So I didn't have any family close, close. My sister lives in Salinas about an hour and a half away. And I just thought to myself, man, what do you do to fill all this time? And I just started trying to be as creative as possible. I started taking up painting, which I'm not really good at, but I love abstract painting. And for Christmas one year, everybody got an abstract painting with a poem on it that I thought went with the the painting. And I started uh, cross-stitching of all things. I actually really like cross-stitching. I think it takes a lot of patience. It's you can put your you know, mind into following it. And it's the closest I'll ever get to actually having like a painting come to life because uh-huh. I can't, besides abstract, I can't paint. <laughs> but those are, I just try to be as creative as possible. And I think that when you open yourself up to different avenues, different parts of your brain are stimulated. Uh-huh. And then you just get all these sorts of different ideas uh-huh. of just crazy things. And I don't know how many times that I would, we'll be talking to somebody and I'll be like, have you ever thought about this? And they'll be like, no. And I'm like, I'm going to write a story about that. Uh-huh. And then it just leads into something. Sometimes it's nothing more than a little flash fiction piece. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it turns into a whole short story. And sometimes 
crazily enough, I can do it for NaNoWriMo and it turns into 50,000 word novel yeah. that I had no idea was hidden away inside. So are you considering doing something with that novel? Um, I have to detach myself to do editing. So anything that big, I have to leave sitting for a while. Uh-huh. So I'm actually to the point where I'm ready to look back on 2016's novel okay. and go, maybe it's time to do something with uh-huh. this. But I get, I, they're my babies. Uh-huh. I can't. So if I try to edit too close to writing something, I'm like, I can't change that. I can't, uh-huh. I can't kill my darlings yet, I guess uh-huh. is the way of saying it. I got to wait sometimes. Uh-huh. So yes, eventually, I guess I, I do want to do that. But I, I like to go small first and uh-huh. do that and work up to the big stuff. Uh-huh. Do you have a, a community of people who would eventually be your readers for one of those novels that you just I do have some people that I would love to get their opinions on a lot of them are just friends and family mm-hmm. that I've had for a very long time and there's a couple uh speakeasy poets I definitely would not mind mm-hmm. reading my work either uh-huh. just everyone is so busy you gotta uh-huh. find the time pigeonhole down like do this for me good people yeah because it was I'm asking that yeah. because I had a friend who asked me to be a reader for um the final I guess novel in in the trilogy that he's been working on, and I'm I I know I've, he's somebody I've known for a long time. Although we haven't lived after he left Lawrence, we haven't lived in the same area for decades. And and um, his his writing is kind of sci-fi fantasy, which isn't which isn't the genre that I'm naturally drawn to. So so it was like this kind of combination of things. Yet I also do, I serve as a judge for a writing contest um, each year that's related to writings about moving through the experience of suicide Mm -hmm. um, thoughts and attempts. And anyway, so Paul asked me and it's like, I don't want to say no, but I don't, you know, my perspective is really different than a lot of your other readers. Like, that's perfect, you know. And so it was an interesting thing for me to read and also for me to, to share some of my thoughts with him because you know I said you know I I can tell you the things that I really love about this but I also know I'm not your typical reader I'm not mm-hmm. you know I wouldn't I wouldn't go to the library or the bookstore looking in that section and find your book you know but there are things that really resonate to me with what's in here and so you know I I you know is it like a because like you know like you're saying it's your work and I have so much respect for people doing that I know it's really hard and it's really personal um and so you know but I was glad to be able to support his project by being one of the people who read and he knew I mean he, he knew that you know all those things about me in terms of you know that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna notice the same mm-hmm. things I'm not gonna be looking at it in the same way that some of his other friends might so it was a cool experience, both for me as a reader and also, you know, in a friendship. So that's. I think that's being thing. readers for people is amazing. I'm doing it right now with someone I did NaNoWriMo with, and it also is a science fiction fantasy genre, which uh-huh. I'm more fantasy, not so much science fiction, because the technical terms get me sometimes. I get uh-huh. lost. I'm like, what machine are you describing again? Uh-huh. I got to go back. Yeah. And I think it's so personal because reading anything which I'm in a vivid reader. I love reading. Uh-huh. Reading anything is 
sharing someone's sharing part of themselves with yes. you, whether it's completely fiction or not, some part of them is still in it. And so when you are personally reading something for somebody that no one else has seen yet, it's yes. so personal. Yeah. And it's like it's just a connection that is is crazy to yeah. me because you can't you can potentially hurt somebody. So you always want to be very careful, but you also want to be constructive enough that mm-hmm. you know maybe a part that needed some work mm-hmm. will get the attention and work that it mm-hmm. needs. Mm-hmm. It's fine balance. But mm-hmm. it is a great experience mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So, so you'll get there with the ones that you're ready to. Eventually, to I have a problem uh, putting work out there sometimes. Uh-huh. I get so nervous, like uh-huh. of rejection. I think every author gets like that, too. Uh-huh. They're like, I don't want to be rejected. Yeah. That's me. That's yeah. my baby. But it's baby steps. And I've grown so much over the last couple of years and gotten so much self-confidence from performing and uh-huh. meeting new people and reaching out and so many different experiences that I know that day will be sooner than I think yeah. that I'll one day wake up and go, all right, it's time to start revising this bad boy and submitting it, yeah. getting it out there and people need to read it. Yeah. Because uh, I think a lot of people would say that the road to publication is paved by rejection letters. You know, mm. <laughs> you've got, you've got to put it out there. And I I think the best advice that I could give anybody who is terrified of rejection, just like I am, is that there are so many avenues that you can do yourself to get started before you put a huge project out there. I mean, I've, I self-published my chat book. I'm Uh going to self-publish the next one. Uh And even though that means it's all on me, it also means that I have an opportunity to connect with people and build a fan base and yeah. then when I'm ready I can say I have a fan base I have people who will read yeah. my work yeah. and you don't need to reject me because yeah. it's good yeah yeah so yeah. there's all sorts of things you can do to prepare yourself for that start a blog uh, do things for people that you know you're not getting paid or winning a contest for yeah. submit to all sorts of places because yeah. there's all sorts of people out there who are starting their own online publications yes. who want to put work out there. I've been doing it for years. And do it. You know, Absolutely. Uh, Maybe you've just heard of them, but yeah. it's a great opportunity. Yeah. I think one of the people, one of the poets who I know, Scott Thomas Outlaw, one of the things that, that he said, you know, he does and he really recommends is when you read somebody's work who you really like, immerse yourself and see where are they published, which online mm-hmm. journals, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of follow those trails to say, find the places that really fit with your work. Cause that's, I mean, that's one of the keys, you know, I have a, I have a, in my sort of huge community of friends who are writers and, and who publish in different ways, you know, one of the things that will come up is that it's really actually insulting to those editors when you send work to them that is clearly not a fit with what they publish because mm-hmm. it indicates that you haven't done, you haven't bothered to even learn about the publication, the, do press, the research, you know, you need to do that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. people sometimes get a little lazy, I guess. It's like, no. Find the places that that are looking for what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and even then sometimes your work at that the particular piece may not resonate or may need some work or whatever. But but start with places that are the kinds that are 
publishing the kinds of things that you're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And besides that, you also, and this is what I have to tell myself all the time, because I, like I said, I am sensitive to it, is that not everybody's going to like your work. Uh -huh. It does not matter if it is the best thing ever uh -huh. or the worst thing ever. Not everybody's going to like it. Yeah. And you know, I think back to Alfred Baum when he was trying to publish The Wizard of Oz and how many rejections that he got and look how it's celebrated. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things Kansas is known for is The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And if he would have given up after the first couple, we would never have had something like that. Yeah. And that's just a, one example of many yeah. I can think yeah. of the top of my head. But it's not everybody's going to like it. And that's OK. Yeah. Just like you're not going to like yeah. everybody's work. Yeah. And that's OK. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to dislike the artist who's doing it right but just because you don't agree with some of their work yeah. doesn't mean you can't get along with them you just have different tastes or yeah. like different yeah. things so keep reading keep writing keep working on your writing experiment do crazy things and what's funny is that when i am specifically submitting things that have a theme i always try to you know when they say do three to five i always try to one, I find work that I think already fits that. And sometimes I'll write a piece just specifically for that. And uh, I'll write those and I'll turn to somebody and be like, that wasn't even that great. And then that's the one that gets picked. Uh -huh. And you go, man, I didn't even think that was my best one. And uh -huh. they think that's the best thing that, that could have gone there. Uh -huh. So it's really all a matter of looking at it and not always the same opinion. Yeah. Everybody else. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, it is okay. Yeah, it is okay. Cool. So you you wrote in all these different styles, and now you're still writing in different genres, right? Oh, absolutely. I never stop. I always have about eight pieces going on. <laughs> I'm one of those people who will start a story and then go, okay, all my inspiration for that one's done for right now. And the next time I'm working on something, it's a totally different piece. And then, you know, done with that one I'm working on something else and go hey this is be perfect for the first story and go back and have a lot of stories that are on my little to, to write list uh -huh. that I'm still constantly working on uh -huh. but I think that writer's block doesn't really exist it's just that you're not really struck for inspiration maybe at that time and if you force it you won't get the piece you want you'll get the piece you get uh -huh. And sometimes you just got to let it go. And that's another reason why I don't edit so closely, because if I wait about six months to a year on some things, I'll go back and get an even better idea that I would never have thought of at uh -huh. the time and add it in and make it work. And it's an even better piece. Mm -hmm. So I just like to write all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. I, I have a, a idea journal that I've been doing. Nice. I was encouraged to start in January because I always have ideas and forget to write them down. I'm uh -huh. like, Oh, I'll remember that later. And I don't. Uh -huh. And ever since I've done the idea journal, I will write them down sometimes and forget about them. And then I'm like, oh, I want to do something different. Well, let's go back and see what I've written down and I'll uh -huh. find something and go, Oh my God, I know just how I want to write that right now cool. and start it. So I'm constantly doing a little bit of everything. And that idea of doing things regularly. I mean, I, uh, having talked to many writers over the years, I, Think about, you know, for some people, for some people, it is a literally every day I dedicate some time and some of that time might be writing. Some of that time might be preparing stuff for submission, but to work on one's writing regularly. And of course, another part of that is continuing to expose yourself to other people's writing. 
Absolutely. And I think that if there's any advice I could give to anybody who maybe is just starting out, I mean, because I wouldn't say that I have it all figured out or anything like Uh that. Everybody is still learning every single day. Uh But if I have any advice for anybody who's just starting out and, and doesn't know what to do, it's yes, you need to do something every day for your writing career, because if you want to be a writer, even if it's just you're not sharing it with anybody, it's a career because Uh that's a part of you Uh and it's an integral part of yourself Uh is that don't pigeonhole yourself into thinking I have to write every day. Maybe what you need to do today isn't writing. Maybe it's reaching out to people and getting a new event to go to. Uh Maybe it's just emailing some editors back on something, Uh editing, like Uh you said, maybe it's just researching places to submit, do Uh something every day, but don't force yourself to write every day, Uh do what feels natural Uh and get it done. And of course, I think we all suffer from that deadline uh, inspiration where (laughs) you get down to the deadline and you're inspired to do all sorts of things when you were lacking before. I I know I suffer from that. Uh, I feel like a lot of people do too. Uh But procrastination sometimes is the best motivator. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I noticed with the two poems that we shared, which I really admire, is that your presentation of each of those was different. That that your your voice style in one poem was more what I think of as people who are doing spoken word poetry, mm-hmm. that there's a certain kind of sound of spoken word poetry often. And then when you read the second poem, your your reading style was very different, which I thought was really cool that you clearly are matching your presentation with content. I, I do like to do that. Um, the first piece that I did, Your Body is a Poem, I actually was inspired to read as a spoken word piece that I could do at a slam or mm-hmm. as a sacrifice at a mm-hmm. slam. And I have done before mm-hmm. as a sacrifice to a slam. And there is a certain kind of style when it comes mm-hmm. to spoken word. So I, I do it like that. And mm-hmm. then when I do what I consider to be more of my text poetry, maybe something that you would read first and listen to, mm-hmm. I do do it a little bit differently. But I think that's all part of finding your voice mm-hmm. is that not every piece of work that you have needs the same voice mm-hmm. to read it. Some mm-hmm. pieces need more energy, some need less. Mm-hmm. Some pieces need to be loud and ostentatious. Some need to be quiet mm-hmm. and it's more meaningful that way. Mm-hmm. Part of being a performer and being an artist is just knowing the best way to express yourself. That's great. So I I like experimentation. I like doing a little bit of everything and doing uh-huh. it different. I just think that as people, there's so many different things in this world we don't know. Uh-huh. And we need to question and curiosity is one of the best things that you can have and just thinking for myself, I spent several years looking back on why I am the person that I am, what led me to that, and then writing about it. You know, those small moments sometimes are the more crucial to me. You know, in some novels you have, you know, this natural disaster happened and everybody has to adapt to it. But in reality, most of us aren't gonna experience a natural disaster. But we experience all sort of disasters in our day-to-day life. And it can be as simple as getting a flat tire on the way to a job interview that you really need. Uh-huh. And in that moment, you make a decision. Some some small thing to you or to anybody else, but it's life-changing in a way. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something like, man, I need to stop being so late to things. Because if I would have been on time, I wouldn't have maybe having a flat tire wouldn't have been the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's a 
that's a decision to change something really important <laughs> in your life, but it's a small moment that uh-huh, does it. Uh-huh. And I like focusing on those uh-huh. and thinking, you know, why did I stop doing this or start doing that? And let's write a story about it because uh-huh. there's other people who can relate to that. And maybe they just need that subconscious nudge uh-huh. to make their own life changing, like uh-huh. altering decision. Uh-huh. It's really interesting. And I'm, I'm part of what's on my mind right now is, you know, with you and multiple genres of writing is I was really moved by the book that I most recently finished, which is by Karen Miriam Goldberg, who was one of the Amazing poets writers. writers. Amazing writers. And her most recent novel is called Miriam's Well. And it's the story, there's a primary character who's a woman and you see her choice and the cultures that affect her. And it's, it's a beautiful story that moves through several decades, um, kind of fortunately ending before the Obama election as opposed to going into the current times. I think that would have been overload for me, but but um, it's it's beautiful and it's engaging and it's it's this clearly heartfelt novel, and her writing, of course, is informed by her poetry. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot packed into everything. So that reminder that that writing in multiple genres can be so wonderful. You know, it's so rich when people do that. And I think about another writer. Um, who, who I had experienced, I'm trying to think of it, if the, if the novel is kind of a memoir is simply called Schoolhouse. I, I need to double check. I'm sorry that I don't remember at this moment. But, but when we were talking about the, the writing of this book and he read some from it, I said, honestly, your use of language is very much poetic. You know, and and he took that as high praise, and and for me, what that meant is there was so much, and the images that that were sparked by the way that he wrote about place and people was amazing. And not all writers have that gift, so I imagine that that crossing of genres that you're doing really enriches all of it. I like to consider I've stopped calling myself either a writer or a poet and just an artist uh-huh. because I think it's a lot easier that way. And we all are artists in our own way. And that's super important as well. And I was out to dinner one time at one of those hibachi places where they do the meal right in front of you. And when the guy was done, I was like, thank you for sharing your artistry with us tonight because it is a performance the way they do that food. And he just kind of looked at me and I was like, I'm, you know, didn't explain myself. But in my head, I was thinking like, I'm sorry, I call everybody artists now because we all are. (laughs) I just wanted to say thank you. It was a good thing for that person to be able to consider that it's more than just a job that he does again and again. I think that it's crazy to think how much people do on a daily basis and how much get accomplished because it is an art form. Uh-huh. Just being able to get up every day and do <laughs> what you need to do is its own form of art, let me tell you. Some people would say it's this your own form of torture as well, but that's a different But art thing. is torture. <laughs> Everybody who thinks that, you know, is I'm not an artist because, you know, I'm not a tortured artist. Like, look, we all have things that we're tortured about. You are an artist. Trust me. And that's one of the reasons why I love the Noto Story Slam, too, is because it's that, look, everyone's a storyteller. Everybody can do this. Anybody can do it. Just get up and tell us a story. 
some people are better storytellers. Absolutely. And I think the beautiful thing is seeing people on all different parts of their journey Uh with it. And I love encouraging people and making them feel so inspired that they Uh need to get up and and do something themselves Mm -hmm. because it's, it's for me writing and it's an emotional journey. It's a, sometimes it's a cleanse. Sometimes it's purge. Sometimes it's just something that you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I just want everybody to be a part of that because in this crazy world we're living in right now, since 2016, we don't have art. What do we have? Mm-hmm. Especially when people don't want us to have art mm-hmm. anymore. They're cutting funding and education for it. My, my sister's an art teacher at an elementary school, and I always worry for her because she's a, she used to be at a smaller district that it would her job would get cut just mm-hmm. because they didn't have the funding for it. And we need art. We need expression. Yes. Like I said earlier, I think the worst thing that we have right now is a failure to communicate. And it doesn't matter what we're talking about if no one's listening. Right. And we need to be able to communicate. And art helps us facilitate a communication yes. in a safe, nonviolent way. Yes. Or sometimes it gets to violence in a, in a it powerfulness. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but yeah, I agree with you. And it's, and you know, like literally, so we're sitting, we are sitting in this house which was built in the 1880s. And when my husband Kyle and I moved into this house with our son Cassidy, we this this house, this neighborhood, and it's still the case, is always in jeopardy of demolition mm-hmm. because there's a sense of what is the value of land. We are between the downtown of Lawrence and the University of Kansas. So there's this... this uh, potential of all all this becoming high rises etc mm-hmm. you know so so we buy this antique house we do research on it to, to know the stories some of the stories of, of who has lived here and what's happened here and we choose to do very extravagant paint job when when people ours is one of those houses that People drive through Lawrence. Oh wow, look at that! I remember having a friend visit from Charleston, and she was coming to stay. And so we're driving to the airport, and to get to the parking of our house, Mm -hmm. you have to pass it and then go around to the back. And she's like, "Oh wow, look at that house!" And I'm like, "Charlotte, that's my house," (laughs) you know. (laughs) But but the reason that we did that was like you're saying with art to bring attention to say, "Look, these houses are wonderful and beautiful and vibrant and." have much, much more comfort to give for many, many, many decades, you know. They aren't done because they're old, you know. Absolutely not. And so that was a really intentional thing that we did is, you know, we, yeah. You can't miss it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Which is fantastic. I think that people have this idea of progress and that nothing should get in the way of progress. Mm -hmm. But the question that you have to ask yourself is, what progress are you striding for? Right, right. Because for me, I think it's more important that we have a, a good progress, a natural, healthy progress, where we all have that sense of community and we all have that sense of, of togetherness that houses like this bring versus high rises where you don't know your neighbors, you don't care to know your neighbors, everything is fake, cheap, even though they say that it's, it's not. You know, they all cut corners, it's all... 
the same. It's about maximizing the income of the people who own property. That's that's absolutely, and that's about. that's progress for progress' sake. That's yeah. not progress getting us towards yeah. an end goal. Yeah. Yeah. Unless your end goal, of course, is to make money, and then I guess that that is progression for some. Money in your own pockets is even different from generating money to to revitalize an area. You know that that one of the one of the groups that I'm part of nationally. It's called the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, and it's a people's movement. It's not a government office, and it's about valuing culture and individuals and using art as a way of bringing people together and having people learn and having people remember that, you know, when we can make decisions about our communities, there are cultural considerations that are very important to the quality of life. It's not just about the one with the deepest pockets who wants to fill them even mm -hmm. deeper. It's about community. That's what our cities and towns, you know, what, what areas are about are people. And that gets overlooked. And so U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, there, there are citizen artists all over the country who are part of that and they're doing different things. And then some things that happen nationally together and, and that reminder that all of our cultures are important, you know? Absolutely. I think that people forget how big the United States is sometimes because when we go other places, I mean, it's crazy to think over in Europe, some of those countries put together are Texas. They're Your just, size. you know, yeah. you have so many of them and yeah. that's just Texas. And because we are a melting pot and we have so many different cultures come over here, I think that we forget that when people immigrate, they bring their culture with them. Yes. That's a sense of, of familiarity to them. Yeah. That's a sense of safeness to them. And yeah. all they want to do is come here and keep their culture intact. Yeah. And for the cultures that are have been here for a very long time as well, I mean, we have our Native Americans yeah. who started out here, the first wave of immigrants who came, they all have their own sense of culture. And it's all different because different people settled in different places. Yeah. So. I think that people just forget just because Kansas does things a certain way that the reason other states do things differently is because they are run by different cultures and they're trying to take, hopefully, their cultural needs into consideration when they're making decisions. And we should all be united on the biggest things, but some of the smaller things, those cultural differences are small but important to yeah. different people. And yeah. We just can't forget that. that yeah. We're not all the same and there's nothing wrong with that. Right, that we need to value that rather mm -hmm. than squash it and say the ones with the most privilege get to make the decision. Which is a small percent. <laughs> <laughs> so art has important roles. It has so many important roles. You know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that getting rid of any form of art form is not a good idea. I also think that there is a difference, though, between art that is shareable and art that should be kept private. I think that you can write or do any form of artwork that you want, but take an audience into consideration when you are performing it because it could be insulting to somebody else or it could be triggering for somebody else and just because you can write it doesn't mean maybe it should necessarily be shared but it is all a matter of opinion as well I know that some artists think if I write it I can read it anywhere and I don't really care if it makes people upset I don't really care if it makes people you know sad or any sort of way write anything I want that doesn't mean I should necessarily share it with everybody and uh, where you would draw lines would be different from somebody else I was 
think there's a phrase about art that said art is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I just think that it's, we shouldn't go in for shock value. You don't want to offend somebody just to get their attention because in offending them, you're not opening a line of communication. You're insulting them and shutting it down, right. which for me, as I've said twice already, communication is key. Yes. I think that we all just want to be understood. And so we just need to keep that in mind that we also need to try to understand each other. I agree with you, but I also think there are times when we can't avoid if we're really having open communication with somebody and trying to learn from each other, at times we are going to feel offended. At times we are going to, as you put it, feel triggered. I mean, I I, I had a conversation recently with a, a writer, Anthony Boynton. We were talking, he was talking about some of the writing that he does and some of the reading that he really enjoys. And he started talking about vampire fiction. And I, and I just said simply, you know, for me, that's not something that I can read. And the, the reason that I can't read it is because for me, that vampire fiction that was so popular at different times, whether it's the young adult version mm-hmm. or an adult version, to me, it's very parallel to sexual abuse mm-hmm. and other kinds of uh, violence from somebody. And I, I, you know, so uh, that's not a place I want to go, you know. And mm-hmm. his response was, I'm so sorry. And, and I appreciate that. And I also said, you know, you, we, you don't have a way of knowing. So, so my, my story is that sometimes we unknowingly are going to trigger people. And sometimes in another way that that triggering may happen. I remember the first time I heard Jeanette Powers read a certain poem at a slam that was one of the LFK slams here at the Granada. Mm-hmm. And it was a child abuse story and it was really intense. And it really touched me deeply and I told her that. And so that was, that was in a good way. You know, there, there are a lot of times and I, and I think particularly with poets who are not white cisgender males, I think a lot of times people who, whose poetry is coming from a personal place and they're mm-hmm. part of one or many vulnerable populations, they're sharing things that are really hard and for some people challenging to hear are also connecting with audience members who go, I'm not the only one, you know. I absolutely agree with you. My my only point on that was I just don't think it's okay to write pieces that you know are going to offend somebody and, and go and read them. I think that people will get offended from anything that you read because we are also living in a society where certain people like to get offended. <laughs> they do. I mean, you know, you you anytime someone posts something, they're like, oh, those liberals are at it again. And it's like they weren't even directing it at you, yeah. but they want to be offended. I just think as a performer, you have to kind of know, is this the audience for this piece? Uh-huh. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. It's uh-huh. just knowing when to read your audience. And maybe some pieces aren't for uh-huh. public audiences. Uh-huh. Maybe they are. I think that sharing your story, something that's personally happened to you, is an exception because that is your right as a survivor uh-huh. um, to to sell your, tell your story, whether that makes the person who it's directed towards feel uncomfortable or not, because 
you were in a position where you felt uncomfortable for a very long time. And by telling that story, you're taking it back uh-huh. for yourself and you're owning it. Uh-huh. And I think that I write a lot of pieces about uh, women and the conditions that we live in in society. Uh, I, I am a survivor myself of different things. And I think that it's good to let people know that we all feel that way. And I know there are probably men that when I read those pieces get offended. And I don't ever put anything in them that I I personally would think is overtly offensive. But I also pick my audiences. Sometimes when I read it, I'm not going to read it at a place where that's not the theme and it's a straight male audience. It's like they have done nothing that I know of to deserve me reading this piece to them. I save a lot of those for places I feel comfortable or it's exactly what this is for. Mm-hmm. Like tomorrow I'm featuring next to Annette Billings at the Poor People's Campaign. And part of that is healthcare for everybody and ecological devastation. And a couple of the pieces do have to do with how women are treated and mm-hmm. in healthcare and the rights of our own body. And I know that people might think that that is offensive, but I'm not going in with it with the intention of offending anybody. And that is what the theme is of that event. So mm-hmm. like if you're going to things like that, you may, yes, you might feel offended by something I say, but it's not my intention to personally attack anybody or insult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So will you be reading poetry, telling the story? What will you be doing? I'll be reading a couple different poems. Um, I love the theme for this. I think that it's pieces that I already have that are great for this. I like to write pieces about things I've had either a personal experience with or have witnessed myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written a couple pieces in the fort in the past, excuse me, about domestic violence. And even though I myself have never experienced domestic violence, I've had close relationships with people who have. And I think that that's a topic that doesn't always get talked about. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting that you're using, you and Annette are featured in this kind of political realm of advocacy for health care for women for all. and the environment as well yeah. because without the environment I mean if we continue to do the things that we're doing for the environment we're all going to be in a lot of trouble here mm-hmm. soon mm-hmm. and it's that and then health care will be very important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which we don't have an equal health care right now that's right. what one of my pieces is about uh-huh. can't really have health care for everybody when we all have to have health care but it's not all the same mm-hmm. So using art in a positive way related to needs at this time in this country and elsewhere. That's really exciting. What I try to do as an artist. Yeah. I want to change the world one poem at a time, I guess, or story or event or performance or whatever circuits my fancy. All right. Well, we are at the end of our hour has blown by. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been an amazing interview. I've been really happy to get to know you, to hear some of your work, and you know, to think together about some of the things that art can do and does. That, that kind of challenge to all the artists among the listeners to keep doing things, to expand the goodness in the world by using your art. That's the way that I think about it. So listeners, this has been Talk With Me with Kay Duganator, who's based in Topeka. Probably won't be in Topeka forever, but that's still where you are at this moment. Um, Look for her on social media in terms of trying to find out what's going on next. Currently, she is in Topeka, Kansas, and 
one of the places that you'll be able to see some of what she's doing is at Speakeasy, the monthly open mic in Topeka. There's a Facebook page about that, cool stuff going on. I want to thank Daniel Smith. I always am so appreciative that Daniel is doing the tech stuff, which results in people being able to hear us. <laughs> That's important. pretty darn important. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. Uh, listen, check the podcast listings. Do what you need to suggest guests. Offer yourself as a guest if you're an artist and you go, yeah, I'm doing that kind of stuff. Cool. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. And go out and do good.